What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. We talk a lot about how we take breaks because we only talk about things when there's something going on. You know, we don't want to fill up the space with like just dead air just to be talking. Well, the flip side is true, too. So we're coming back to back today because there's a lot going on this week, a lot of great things going on in hip hop. Um, yeah, and before we get into it, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing good. This is like when Nelly drops sweat and suit on the same day, man. We're coming out with two, <laughs> two epic bangers today. <laughs> oh man, I, I can't even I, I don't I, I that is the deep, deep recesses of my brain. That's crazy. Uh that's wild. Uh, well, um, so yesterday we talked about the Grammys. Um Grammy nominations happen, it's always controversial. If you want our take on that, you know, you can find that on the channel. Uh, but today we're talking about something that happened even before the Grammys, but we don't really like to do hot takes here. We, we always like to spend time, let the art open up and breathe. And what we're talking about now is uh, a release from Nas. His King's Disease 3 dropped, produced fully by Hit Boy on Friday, uh, November, uh, was 11th? 11th, uh, yeah. 11th. Veterans Day, yeah. Yeah, Veterans Day. And, you know, we've done a, a series of these. We reviewed his King's Disease 1, kind of track by track. We did King's Disease 2 in the same way. We did not do Magic because uh, it wasn't part of the series, but we heard, we about, heard about it. it. Yep, We heard about it quite a bit. Uh, but King's Disease 3, we definitely wanted to do a deep dive on. Um, so, um, well, let's talk about this first, man. Like, um, you know, I mentioned the need to kind of let art kind of breathe. A lot of times people do hot takes. And even if you listen to it several times within the first few hours or whatever, it's not the same as letting it rest and like come back and like uh, take another stab at it. So um, just talk to me before getting into it, like how your impression of this album changed over time. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I stayed up till uh, past midnight you know, to hear it drop on the East Coast. And I gave it kind of a, I'm already tired. Let me just see if anything jumps out, listen, which is often just super unfair to art. Like, you know, you're already, it's like, you know, it's like texting and driving. You're already content on doing one thing and you're just listening. And came up Friday, listened to it first thing in the morning, kind of started to crystallize an opinion. And then throughout the weekend, I listened more and more. And then all of a sudden, like a like a Polaroid, like it started to develop for me. And, you know, I do have to say on Friday, you mentioned hot takes. I think anytime Nas drops, he's just one of those artists. Um, you know, certainly there's others. I saw a lot of skepticism, you know, surrounding a Kendrick Lamar album release. Um, you know, I think we see with Drake, anybody who's a superstar or legend in hip hop of, of, of a certain level of magnitude, you're going to see it. But I started to finally get it. And, you know, we're here to talk about it today. But with you, how is, you know, similar relationship? Yeah, man, it's interesting. I think there's a lot of pressure for the hot take. Um, you know, we all want to be timely. There's a rush to get it out. You want your opinion to be heard, heard first, not get caught up in the noise, like all those things. I think with an artist like Nas, there's also a lot of pressure, a lot of herd mentality because he's such an important artist. And if you're critical about it, then um, you know you're going to get like um, hit up by by Nas fans. We, we've certainly seen it in some critiques we've had over the years. 
Um, and so, but, you know, in, in terms of like the hot take for me, it's always about the beat first. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then I go, once I kind of get the beat and the flow, then I start to really listen to the content, the substance. And for me, the danger that I always have with the hot take is that if it's something from an artist that I know well, or from a, a recurring series or whatever, I come in with certain expectations. And if those expectations are not met, then the first kind of reaction is disappointment when really it should be just kind of a reset and going back and listening to it with fresh ears. And so that's what I think happened to me with this. This also happened with Kendrick Lamar's Mr. Rowell and the Big Steppers and like uh, Princes Around the World in a Day and a bunch of albums over the years that I've grown to love. Um, but my initial reaction was very different than it, than what it is today. So, yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you and, and you just broke it down. I mean, for me, I always think of kind of having that relationship with only built for Cuban links and, and, but there's a caveat to that is when that album dropped, you know, I wasn't even 12 years old yet. So how is that album going to hit you without the context? And, you know, I thought I had made my mind up about it for a few years. And then as I was in my upper teens and you start to understand what the references are, and what he's talking about, you know, in the case of Raekwon and Ghostface, like you understand it differently. But I always used to laugh when I would review albums um, for The Source or, or different publications. Um, you go to a studio sometimes and you hear an album um, and you're hearing it in studio speakers. And usually somebody's blazing up in the room and the artist is standing there and, you know, everyone's doing that unison head nod. I used to laugh, man. There were albums that I came out of studios in and I was convinced, you know, I'd, I'd email the music editor like, yo, this is at least a four, four and a half mic album. And then when it finally drops, you hear it in the car and none of those elements are around and it's a very different album. So it can work um, multiple ways. You can you can kind of catch the buzz and, and then watch it dissipate or you can have an album that, you know, develops like that picture I mentioned. Yeah, I, gr- I agree. And I think that, Often the more complex an album is, the longer it takes to really process it. You know, the example that comes to mind for me is D'Angelo's Voodoo. Mm. There was no album that sounded like that beforehand. It was just so complex. And I had such high expectations coming off Brown Sugar. And Brown Sugar was pretty instantly accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really jarring to hear Voodoo. But it became, over time, one of my favorite albums of all time in any category. Like, And I think that's true, too. Like... Um, Often it takes more time to process and, and, and get to it. But when it happens, it has more staying power. The the instant kind of uh, microwave, like uh, popcorn kind of uh, feel often like goes away pretty quickly too, you know, and, and it doesn't have the same kind of staying power. Very true. Um, but all that said, um, you want to dive into Nas King's Disease 3? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one of the things that is interesting about this album is it's a very uh, minimized rollout, you know, um, you know, even before that, I, the day that it dropped, you heard the album. And then do you want to talk a little bit about what you did that evening? Yeah. Yeah. So I went to um, the, the second time I heard the album was actually at Nas's release party. Uh, Nas and Hit Boy were there. Uh, I saw Joey Badass there. Um, Static Selected Terminology. Jay Period was spinning. Uh, I saw Andre 3000 was in the building later after the fact. You didn't see Three Stacks? Wait, Three Stacks was in the building? I don't know how many of the Reeves parties Nas had, but I saw headlines yesterday that Andre 3000 was at Nas's release party. Dude, okay. All right. So first of all, if Three Stacks was there <laughs> yeah. and I missed it, yeah. I am like, 
I'm hot. Like, and it's going to be hard for me to focus for the rest of this podcast. So thank you very much. Pause. But... <laughs> no, it's funny though. Like, you know, uh, three stacks, you know, lived in Philly for a while when they were, they were shooting something. And I just learned the other day it's funny. Like three stacks would hang out in my barbershop all the time. And like, I go to like a white barber, but they're both music heads and like three stacks was always in there. And the barber was like, you want to cut and Andre was like nah, I'm good <laughs> but I, I just learned that the other day and uh, well, so he he moves you know very stealthy and so maybe that's why you didn't well, recognize him. so I will say this that they had a dinner they had a um a dinner uh, like a private dinner beforehand it's okay. just like Nas Jungle you know um Peter from Mass Appeal and a few others so maybe three stacks was at that I think I probably would have seen him because the venue was not that big and um everyone was pretty like um it wasn't like super cordoned off or anything like that you could see like everything that's going on uh i left it probably around one or so so it's possible they came but it was it was winding down at that point so but that was the second time i heard it um during the the actual uh party Nas and hip boy got up and spoke Nas had some very powerful words about takeoff and a tribute to him you can see that on our site too, on, on the channel. Um, but he also talked about the special chemistry that he and Hip Boy have. And the fact that they did, to your point, roll this out very quietly, just social media. They went direct to the fans. They didn't need to go through media outlets or anything like that. And that's the the power that Nas has. That's the power that this franchise has now built. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I like that. I, I think that there's something frustrating um, as just a member of the media. And I've said this before when, you know, you had Drake for so many times or, or Kendrick, um, you know, other artists too, that just do the surprise album. And I don't know that we're prepared or that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're waking up at three in the morning because somebody texts you. Nas and Hitboy gave warning, but that was literally the only promo. I have yet to see an interview done. Um, and it's interesting. It's it's one of those cases of letting the music and the body of work speak for itself. And I, I always assumed that these guys had more in them. I think they alluded to that in passing since Magic a year ago or 11 months ago. But um, yeah, this was a welcome surprise. And one other point of note, since we just did an episode talking about the Grammys, I think it's interesting that like Drake and 21 Savage, uh, Nas and Hitboy deliberately waited till they were, you know, a month, six weeks out of eligibility. Nas is coming off of back-to-back -back nominations, including his first ever album win back in 2021 for the first King's Disease. And, you know, now that we hear this album and what he really, what they both accomplished, I think it was very wise of them to just take a moment, not because it couldn't compete, but because it's very unlikely that, you know, artists other than Dave Chappelle could continue to win every year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But, you know, as we said also in that episode, artists who tend to release late in the year or early in the Grammy cycle are often overlooked or forgotten about by the time the nominations roll out. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not this one can kind of break that curse. Um, you know, so, yeah, yeah. But um, it, was, it was cool to see um, Nas celebrate Hit Boy. You know, and just um, how much it's meant to him. You know, they, they mentioned it the first time they gave us a sneak preview, I think, was they said on Magic uh, that KD3 is on the way. Uh, this is just something to give you to, like, you know, uh, satiate you. But um, so KD3, man, um, first song is Ghetto Reporter. 
And Nas, you know, as you say, is a master of first songs and first lines. You want to talk about that, how he broke that down? Yeah. Um, Nas, I just always feel for whatever you, you may think of his albums. I mean, even down to the intro, but the music, the first things that you hear after, he just knows how to like create a buckle up moment. I mean, Nas has always spoken about um, cinema. I think at one point on this album, you know, he alludes to plans to win an Oscar and I think much like a very good film, you've got to have that great opening scene. Um, so right up, right up, right up front, you know, pushing it to the top. Nas has lines like, it's comedy. It's hilarious. Look at yourself in the mirror. Tell me times ain't the scariest. For me, dropping album after album, it's like a various artist compilation, which is a weird comparison. But it's it's just me and HB and this shit take concentration. Brothers know I don't drop so often, so cherish it. I love that line because, you know, not that line, that passage. Nas is saying, like, cherish this. Even though I've given you now four projects since 2020 um, with the three KDs plus Magic, cherish it. This still has meaning, even though he's got serial albums. And he also says that this takes concentration. And one of the things that you and I have spoken a lot about on this podcast is comparing some artists who clearly sit down and revise and think and conceptualize Versus artists that are very much, you know, let me scribble and put something together. And I think at times in his career, Nas has been considered, you know, that, you know, I'll, all respect due. But, you know, I've watched KRS-One go from making some of the greatest lines in hip hop to an artist that I reportedly freestyles a lot when he enters the studio. Um, and Nas letting you know up front that this is a concentrated art form shows that like, like yo, even though I've accumulated all this wealth, have all of this stature, I'm already a legend. Buckle in, tap in, you know, buckle up. So right, right from rip. Yeah. I think that point about it being like a various artist compilation is him underscoring the fact that most artists just don't have the capacity to put out this much material. And so the only way you can get four albums this quickly would be through like having multiple artists involved. But, you know, one of the things I'll say off top is that's different about this one is that there's no features. Mm -hmm. This is all Nas and and just him and Hit Boy, which I think is appropriate for the last one, you know. But one of the things I love about Nas, you know, he talked about at that release party and um, is that he acknowledges that while they make this look easy, it's not, you know. Um, this takes hard work. And like you said, this is a guy who has got a lot of ventures going on. He's an investor. Um, he's running a business in part with Mass Appeal. He's got a lot of stuff going on. So for him to lock in like this um, takes a lot. And that's one of the things he credits Hit Boy with is really getting him in the studio, getting him focused, making him work. And um, one of the things I said to Hit Boy when I saw him on Friday night was that he's got Nas sounding like he's in his prime in his 40s, you know, and I don't, I don't think that's an any easy feat. Like there's a lot of artists who have been stated kind of peak powers but for an artist like Nas, who's got classics like Illmatic and like incredible bodies of work since then, to possibly be in his prime now, yeah. 25, 30 years later, is incredible. And certainly, regardless of whether you agree with that statement or not in terms of quality, in terms of the consistency and output and how prolific he's been, I don't think we've seen that from him or any other artists um, in, in such a short amount of time. 
No, I mean, Nas is absolutely one of the greats. And when you think about it, you know, we have gone years without new albums from Rakim and Big Daddy Kane. You look at the previous generation and they put down their classics and they continue to put on, you know, especially in the case of Kane, phenomenal live shows, but they haven't kind of fold with that discography, apart from certain features and, and special moments. And Nas, and he's not the only one, but Nas is one of the greats that continues to just you know, challenge his discography because if he made three out al- three bad albums in a row, that changes the optics a bit, you know, for who Nas is. And this King's Disease series, Nas is one of these people that's entered the pandemic and come out of it um, with a much better place in his career. And I firmly believe that in this series, which I didn't see coming back then in 2020, has really been a pivot point. Yeah. And one of the things that you know, so again, one of the things that was challenging for me was it sounded so different from King, King's Disease 2. But in retrospect, I think it's one of the beautiful things is that each of these albums has its own distinct sound. That's very difficult to do in sh- such a short amer- period, short period of time and with two, the same two people working. Um, it's pretty incredible, man. Um, you know, he speaks about that in one of the lines. He says, the audacity masterfully crafted these classics so naturally had to be nasty back at it. They argue KD1, KD2 are magic. What's harder when KD3 go harder than all of them? Um, so KD3 goes harder than all of them. Uh, would you agree with that statement? As a as a step away body of work, I would. Let me give it a caveat, though. There is not... Those two albums had moments, um, and, and I just revisited our conversation on this podcast for KD2, and you and I agreed at the time that KD2 was better than KD1. Um, but both of those albums had these, these real kind of standout moments, these definitive pieces, these stones in the sand within the album. I'm not getting that with this, but I think when you step away, I'll, I'll, I'll put the lead up front. I think this is the best in the KD series. I think absolutely think if you include Magic, it's the best of the four of them. I agree. I, for the exact, exact same reasons, like as a complete body of work, I think this is the most complete, uh, consistently good th- throughout. You know, I think there was a little bit of stuff you could trim on KD1 and KD2, less on KD2. For me, KD2 is a lot better than KD1. I went back and listened to all three uh, yesterday and Magic also, and, and this one too, because I really wanted to have fresh ears on it. And uh, I went in thinking one thing and I, I came out uh, agreeing that KD3 is the best of the three. But to your point, Full Circle might be my favorite song in the entire um, series. Yes. Uh, that was on KD1. If it's not Full Circle, then it's probably Nobody or uh, My Bible from KD2. You know, there's not a song on KD3 that tops either of those three songs for me. But again, the body of work, um, you know, there's obviously great songs on KD3 or else we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But those, yeah. uh, to use your um, terminology, are, are stones in the sand for me that are immovable. And, and shout out to Hit Boy. You make a really good point. None of these four albums sound alike. And I mean, Hit Boy is an A-list producer at this point, um, you know, and, and I know he's got a tag that you hear in his beats a lot, you know, especially when he's doing a la carte joints for other people that um a game and 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 yay song comes to mind uh with DJ Premier but i think he's really incredible and and there's other producers that remind me of this um to some degree alchemist um that he doesn't get stuck in any one way like 
he is completely capable of not just producing each individual artist differently. Cause this is the same guy who did um, audio push. I mean, he's done whole albums with Dom Kennedy. He can go artist by artist. In Paris. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his, his involvement, you know, let alone with Jay and Kanye did um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, backseat freestyle for Kendrick. Yeah. Um, so he can go a million yeah, different some, directions. Some Benny the Butcher joints, like uh, yeah, one train. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like he's yeah. But in the case of these four Nas projects, they're all very different, and they're not overly heavy-handed. Of like, yo, this one we're gonna sample a bunch of '80s records, and this one. But like, Hit Boy is so versatile, and I'll be the first to tell you. I mean, when I think of my favorite producers of the moment, Hit Boy is not somebody that immediately I, I reach for in my mind. But I have to absolutely tip the cap of the way he's handled this series. Um, and Nas spoke to that. I mean, he said that even though Hit Boy grew up basically, you know, 3,000 miles away from him in Montana, California, that somehow when they hang in the studio and they sketch these out, he's able to see the world that Nas comes from and the world that Nas is in now. And that's that's true chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So one other point I want to make, you know, from the, you know, from um, Ghetto Reporter is, you know, Nas says something really interesting as the song closes, um, you know, of just the relationship that he has with his listener at this point. And I think that it's one of those telltale moments of why Nas has evolved a bit. But the, the closing bars are, leave it up to me to break the news you won't see on the screen. Chuckle at you MFers, we the last of the kings. Shout out to the real ones like us. It's a shortage, it seems. I'm underground and overground, and it's never been seen. Real counts on my streams. Got real real people tapping in. So that's what that means, indeed. And I feel like, you know, first of all, that's a nice jab to anybody who's kind of doing pay-to-play in this day and age or inflating their numbers. Um, it's a real chest-pumping moment. And, you know, I saw Hit Boy tweet this week that same thing of of the real ones like us. It's a shortage. I, I like everything that's in there. But Nas, to me, what I take away from this is I'm not concerned with going number one. I'm not concerned with competing necessarily with, you know, some of the same artists that we see, you know, our, our names are all through the Grammy nominations this week. I have a one-to-one relationship with my fans, with my listeners. I don't even have to market these albums. I just put it out. You receive it. If you like it, I'll make more of it. And I think that Nas kind of putting himself in that mindset has allowed him to be so much more creatively free. Yeah, I agree with that. And there's some other points when he talks about that. And I want to dive more deeply. The other thing I wanted to call out on that, though, the passage you just read is that he says I'm underground and, and overground. It's never been seen. Like, you know, that's an art. That's something we've discussed extensively on this podcast about how Nas, uh, you know, Ninth Wonder uh, suggested that Nas was at the root of one of the fractures in hip hop between underground and commercial. And it was the day that uh, It Was Written was released is the same day that Stakes is High was released. And it's kind of like you're choosing a direction or another. And here's Nas saying, you know what, I'm both. Like, um, I, I can be underground and do stuff for the streets and go direct to your point. But I can also be overground and I got big hit records and can be flossy and all that. And um, there's not many people who can do that. I don't think he's the only one. I think Jay has done that. I think that Kendrick has done that. I think there are a few people, but it's a rare quality. And uh, and he absolutely can claim it, you know. A couple other things in this song that spoke to me were 
he had a, a line. He said, they drew up contracts for our brothers, Drew Hill to Drew Down, and I'm praying they set. Instead, most artists don't live as good as the execs, and they end up depressed. Now, this is a sentiment, man, that's been in the zeitgeist of late, is that um, artists um, are not faring as well as the executives. You know, this is something that Kevin Hart and Jay-Z talked about when they sat down and had a conversation. Um, you know, Kanye has uh, talked about this amidst uh, some of the crazier, more controversial stuff we won't get into. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that has really started to bubble up lately. And I'm wondering why now? You know, do, do we think there's going to be a paradigm shift similar to what's happened in athletics where contracts are going to start to become more favorable to artists? They're going to uh, have profit shares, going to uh, control their own destinies more. You got LeBron being a billionaire playing actively now. Do we think there's a time when um, when artists are going to, you know, be like, okay, cool, I'm getting what I deserve instead of uh, I'm getting what, you know, someone else wants to give to me? Yeah, I mean, I think we're living amid the paradigm shift. And I look at what Jay has done with Rock Nation and, and just promoting not just within his company, but within his lyrics and art and within his community service of financial literacy and, and Black empowerment and self-empowerment. And I think that, you know, Nas is doing it too. And and this is where Nas, and I, first of all, this is a hip hop fan. I love the, the Drew Down shout out. Um, <laughs> but I think that Nas is building something special with mass appeal. And even though, you know, that label hasn't necessarily put out things apart from Nas that have been on the level of some of the things that Rock Nation has put out. You know, Jay-Z recently rapped on the Grammy-nominated God did about building four billionaires. Um, the the bigger company than the record label absolutely has. And, and let's not forget, too, that Mass Appeal as a company is one of the partners of the Universal Hip Hop Museum. Um, you know, just yesterday, uh, you know, a number of of forefathers and mothers of this culture took a photo with Eric Adams at City Hall in New York City and, and all that they plan there. But I think that Nas is at the movement of correcting some of the mistakes, of helping some of the founders, some of the pioneers, some of the OGs collect and have their moment, similar to what LL Cool J has done with Rock the Bells. So I love this line because I think it 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 is in stride with what Nas is doing behind the scenes, even down to look no further than, um, you know, uh, the documentary on Dapper Dan, like somebody who help take fashion to the next level and is now in a position to be among the leaders and, and mass appeal celebrated that, you know, through its film division, Nas is doing a lot of that. So the line coincides. Yeah. And he's, he's about breaking boundaries on this, this record. Uh, the, the, he ends the song with, this is part of the outro. When I'm 50 years old, I want to have 50 year old fans, 60 year old fans, six, six, 16 year old fans. So, you know, he's saying, I want to speak to everyone. And He's not excluding any demographic and that aligns so much with what we've tried to do with AFH. Now there's so many boundaries around who can listen to what music and what music is good and what music is bad. I've said many times that the golden age of hip hop is 1978 to the present, you know, speaking about recorded, you know, hip hop, you know, with rappers delight being, you know, one of the first rap recordings there through now, um, you know, and recognizing that just because folks are getting older doesn't mean they don't want to hear fresh stuff. And um, and younger people might want to hear uh, stuff that's not like, you know, popping um, with, with, with their friends. And you're seeing how popular Kendrick is and J. Cole and Logic, your guy, and people like that. Like, these are people who are, um, you know, who can speak.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply get to multiple generations. And so I love that he's talking about this. And to anyone, Savage has something spicy to say about Nas over the weekend in a, um, I don't know if it was Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces. Twitter Spaces, yeah. Twitter Spaces. Uh, he said something, and, and you you are the one who drew my attention to this. So you want to break it down? Yeah, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but he, mm, you know he what? He just said me... Nas isn't relevant. But that's not the whole quote and that's what matters hold on one second though yeah um you know command people well he's clarified his remarks now but yeah i'll say go ahead this is the quote he says i in regards to nas i don't feel like he's relevant um shit blame the ads (laughs) hold on one second edit just one yeah no worries he says he says i don't feel like he's relevant I feel like he has a loyal fan base. He still makes good music. Um, And to me, and then he's, he sends clarified and said he meant no disrespect because that was one of those cases. um, He says, y'all trying to take stuff and run with it. I would never disrespect Nas or any legend who paved the way for me. And I think that that's an interesting thing, but it does fall into what you're saying um, of Nas trying to build things. But it also, to me, like, Shout out to 21 Savage. We've covered him on the site. But 21 Savage is still not in a place where he can release an album, in my opinion, um, and and build fan base that lasts 30 years. Nas has. And I understand why somebody like that, when you don't see Nas everywhere, you know, you don't hear it in commercials, you don't know, you might not see it in the number one spot on the charts, why he might say that. He got a Grammy before Nas did, but Nas is a hundred percent relevant. Nas has always been relevant. Even when, you know, he put out Nostradamus, he was relevant. And that's, you know, this comment and quote coincides with Nas doing his own victory lap and laying out his plans for the next 10, 20 years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't even, I don't know that, I don't think he, I don't even know what he meant by saying it because even his statement didn't make sense when you break it down, right? Um, Being relevance is relative. And a lot of times people confuse those two words, but this is a great example of how the two kind of work together. Like there are lots of people who are relevant in one pocket and no one knows them in another pocket. Like you, can you name a single Bollywood star? No, no. Okay. But the, and if you go to India, there are tens, if not hundreds of millions of people who would be like, you know, breaking down your door if they knew that, you know, um, you know, uh, Kar- Karisha Kapoor is, uh, was was in. You got a um... stun on me like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, man. Uh, you know, so um, you know, so relevance is completely relative to your your surroundings, right? And so, for a person who is 20 years old, Nas might not be relevant, but but. My, my my 20 year old son knows Nas, you know, um, and, you know, uh, for 
40 year olds, 21 Savage might not be relevant, you know? Right. So it, it, it depends. But to your point, Nas has been relevant to a certain demographic and to 21 Savage's point, he's got a huge fan base. So he's relevant to a lot of people. They just happen to be a different age than the one he's speaking about. Um, so I found it puzzling. I'm not going to hit on him too hard because to your point, uh, I do respect him. I don't think he meant disrespect, but it was just an interesting thing to say. And um, I think that Nas's point here is that he does want to be relevant to people 16 to 60. And I think that he is. Yeah. And I think that he will continue to do so without chasing. There have been times in Nas's career and even his diehards would admit this where Nas has chased. He's not about that life anymore. He doesn't need to be. And he has that one-to-one, I'm going to give it to you how I want to give it to you relationship. And that's a beautiful thing. And I hope that 21 Savage makes a career long enough to have that same thing at some point. I'm sure his diehard fans would say that he does now, but I mean, Nas has been doing it 30 plus. So For sure. For sure. So the next song is legit. And uh, this is the one that spoke to me immediately, probably more so than any other song on the album. Um, And, you know, again, I guess it kind of underscores my point. It it was something that was familiar. It uses a sample uh, from the heartbeat, the five heartbeats movie. Um, um, And as one reader pointed out, uh, some by the, 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 um, the four tops, Uh, but a a heart, a house is a home. Um, is there a heart in the house tonight? Um, uh, Not the Force MDs one, it's the other one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, Hit Boy plays it and then like shops the sample just incredibly. And it's rare that you take a classic song and make it feel like it's new and fresh and, and maybe even better than the original. But as a hip hop version, he really just smoked it. Um, Nas opens up, you know, he has a line, we come in blacker than Black Panther 2 which is dope to drop on the day that that Wakanda forever, you know, um, drops. Um, Nas has been on the pro black thing since the beginning of the King's disease series. He had a song called ultra black and um, it's really about black excellence and black empowerment. And so for him to, to start this song that way, it was really dope. Um, you know, he's got songs like you no know, lines, like for those who claim a hundred million on taxes, beautiful actresses, street dudes who turn activists, who used to move packages, you know, again, not only is he rapping for many ages, but he's rapping for many different factions of life, many demographics. Yeah. He's like really meaning to be versatile. He's flexing, like, and, and, and saying, you know what, 21 Savage, I'm relevant to everybody. You just don't know. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's not just stepping in the booth and, and freestyling. Like that is Nas sitting there, you know, writing that out. I mean, if he did freestyle in the booth, like Jay, shout out to him, but that is the kind of line that you want from a Nas album after 30 years. Yeah, yeah. And then the outro, you know, for me, um, he goes, you can do it too. Go legit. Yeah, believe in yourself. Live the life you deserve. That's really powerful, man. Coming from Nas, who has, as we've talked about, gone from being someone who grew up in Queens, impoverished um, in the Queens projects, uh, to being a multi-hundred millionaire through um, investments and being a savvy businessman. And not getting the same credit that Jay-Z and Puffy and, and others have gotten for that. You know, he's done it in a different way, but it's led to phenomenal results for him. And it's also such a contrast to a lot of the subject matter and songs that we hear today, which are telling people to stay in the streets, keep selling drugs, keep using drugs, 
and all these things that we know are self-destructive and don't lead to like any kind of longevity or, or self-preservation or wealth. So to have Nas come out and say that is, is pretty dope. And again, that's why Nas is relevant as ever, because we need that message right now. I mean, again, you and I did a recent episode on all the losses that hip hop has suffered to gun violence alone. We need self-empowerment. We need positive messages. We need to celebrate the success story of going from whatever the the, the before is into the after, which in Nas's case and yours and mine, and hopefully everyone is success, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Um, So the next song you mentioned, you know, growing up in the Queensbridge, you know, in project houses is done, you know, um, which is the obligatory Nas Queens cut. And I think that this really started with one love. I mean, so much of Illmatic was about place and time, but Nas mentioned, you know, the, 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 the 40 busters and Cormega and all these different folks on that song. And, and this one is much the same. Nas has some interesting lines that I just thought we'd talk about here. He says, subways be stacked and I ain't been on a train in decades. And I can still hear the hear the wheels on the track, feel the beat breaks, serial deface for Jake's, a license to carry still ain't safe in New York State. Like Nas at one point in his album says he can flash back to 93. Boom, you hear it there. Because for a guy who hasn't jumped on the uh, you know, the N or the R train, he still can tap in like that. And you know, um, beat breaks is the name of the joint he did with Premiere earlier this year that you know we did a great post on. And again, it's interesting, you know, I thought of Jay-Z, you know, attending his Barclays Center concerts and he would take the train with his crew. And Nas isn't trying to pander. He's not trying to say like, yo, I'm just like you and me or common. Sometimes I take the bus home just to touch home. He's saying, look, I haven't done it in a while, but that part of me is still embedded. Um, and he can still very much um, be in a New York state of mind. And 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 Nas does this thing where without without being stillmatic about it, without um, being heavy-handed, he can just flash you to a place. And this is absolutely one of those joints. But you you felt a way about the beat. Well, first of all, did you pull that line because it's got your name in it? Listen, man, if you think that I'm out here trying to look like 12 <laughs> just because of Jake, you got me wrong. Uh, yeah, man, this beat, this is a, the, a beat that, um, you know, I, I talked about how it sounded unfamiliar this one did seem familiar to me, but not in a great way. You know, you called it the kind of obligatory Queens cut. For me, it, the beat was also felt a little bit obligatory. Like it was the one, okay, we're going to give one to like, you know, heads who like this, this type of music. Um, and so far Nas and Hit Boy have been so innovative in crafting a sound that feels true to Nas, but current and, and uh, forward looking. Uh, this one felt a little bit retro to me. And so, lost me a little bit but that being said um you know i can't argue with the content and you know the line that spoke to me was no beef for rivals they play an ether on title brothers can do anything when they decide to and a range rubber dissecting bars from takeover sometimes i text hove like brother this ain't over like i mean that line is dope on so many levels man like um you know just talking about you know, obviously Ether being his answer to Jay-Z's takeover and arguably one of the greatest diss songs of all time. The debate still goes on as to who had the better of the two. Um, we won't count super ugly, but the fact that that can now be on a platform that was owned in large part by Jay-Z is incredible. And it speaks to um, the development of both men over time. But also I love the fact that 
even though they're not rivals, you know, they've, they've long since kind of like put their, um, their bad blood to bed, that they are still fierce competitors. And we see that we've seen that a number of occasions where it just, it's just way too often for it to be coincidence that Jay steps on Nas's releases. Um, he always got a release in the tuck for when Nas put something out. I'm surprised we haven't heard from Jay already since the, he put this album out. Yeah. But, um, but you know, as much as Jay competes in that level, uh, Nas is competing too. And I think that's dope. I think that's beautiful for hip hop. It's a great line of growth. I saw a lot of people running with that headline and I thought it was kind of whacked the way it was being handled because that song is a real testament to growth and friendship and maturity. And it's not him, you know, I just think that that was misled and let the music do the talking. I like the way you and I broke it down. For sure. For sure. And so the next song is Michael and Quincy. This is a reference to Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones. Um, you know, these are, are two men who are undisputably uh, two of the greatest to ever do what they do. You know, Michael singing, just general entertainer and Prince and Quincy being a producer. Um, and so for him comparing himself and hit boy to Michael and Quincy is major, you know, um, you know, some of the similarities are they both had three album runs that uh, I think are considered to be the best for both. Um, you know, in, ter in terms of a, a body of three, you know, Off the Wall, Thriller, and Bad, I don't think anyone would say that any other three albums were were better um, for Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones than those three. Um, Thriller being the biggest selling album of all time and Bad being a disappointing like 40 million seller, you know, and Off the Wall probably being 20 million, like just commercial critical acclaim, Grammys, like the whole night, it doesn't get any bigger. And then for Nas and Hit Boy, um, you know, I don't know that Nas has had a better three album run. You know, he, he's had better albums, obviously Illmatic, and, you know, you can argue about some others. But as a three album body of work, and again, we're excluding Magic because I think Nas and Hit Boy see that as kind of like a an appetizer, um, not part of this main uh, entree. So we're not, you know, uh dissing that album or like being yeah. critical about it. It's like just, kill it will. Yeah. yeah, this is the series. Uh I don't know that the Nas had a better three album run. Um and I don't know that Hit Boy has either. Uh but but what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean I'm a purist. So I think Nas is, you know, Illmatic, it was written, I am I'm still going on that, just on the strengths of Illmatic alone. But I think the the parallels that I got too is when Quincy and Michael met you know, when they linked, they were already well into established careers, you know, obviously all that Michael had accomplished, you know, with his brothers um, and Quincy, you know, first as a jazz artist and then as a producer with, you know, Chambers Brothers and, and so many others, you know, they found this moment and they redirected their lives because of it. And I think that that's what Nas and Hitboy have done. I mean, Hitboy has been around for a long ass time working with a host of other people besides Nas. Nas has been doing it. He's done whole albums with Salam Rami, did whole album with um, you know, Damian Marley, and they find this moment and they lock in. And it is a moment. That's how I, I took it. And also, you know, Nas loves comparisons. He loves concept songs. It it just kind of worked too, because I have a feeling, even though Hit Boy's a bit junior to Nas, you know, in terms of being in the industry and an age, I think he takes a lot of direction from Hit Boy. I think that Hit Boy might, you know, come into play with sequencing this album and have this ability i mean nas spoke to it in the video you recorded at the release party 
of somebody who just knows how to reach him. And, you know, Nas came in the game with a dream team of producers, but the way that they might communicate, given their histories, given their lineages, might be different. And whatever's working for these guys is, is the winning formula. Yeah, you know, I'm wondering if this is a sign, if this is a signal. You know, I know this was a series, a three-album series. They've shown with Magic they can do other work aside from that. But I'm wondering if this is meant to be a trilogy and that means they're going to part ways and, like, go off and do other things, maybe to reunite at some other point. Or if this is just one series, they're going to start another one. Um, you know, if the, if this was the end of their partnership for a minute, I'm wondering who Nas would work with next because, you know, no one has got him sounding like Hit Boy has had him sounding um, this consistently. He mentions Primo later on in the album. We'll talk about that. Um, I don't know that uh, I, I don't know that I see him and Primo doing a three album series or anything like that. Um, is there anyone you can think of you'd want to hear Nas with next? I mean, I'm a purist again. I, I love Nas with the Omatic Collective. Um, the only other producer, you know, I always liked what he did with Salam. Um, I really liked the way Stretch produced elements of It Was Written. Stretch has passed away. But Premier, uh, Large Professor, I always liked Nas and the Trackmasters. I know I'm one of the few with that, obviously, you know, Q-Tip and P-Rock. But to your point, the fact that he says on the very next song, which we'll talk about in a second, Prem album still might happen. I think that will happen. Um, I've been thinking that for over a decade, I think for over 15 years. But, you know, Premier is getting closer and closer to mass appeal right now. Um, you know, has a studio in New York, has a creative space. I could just see something coming out of that. Even if it's on a whim, even if it's five songs, I do think we're going to have that. I also, it's got to be weird. I mean, Nas and Hitboy have been spending their studio time together for at least two and a half years. And how does that partnership end if it is to end? Like, you know, when you like somebody, when you're getting along, when you're finding your creative stride, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, I don't know that Nas is saying that it's going to end at a three album run, but I still like the question you're raising all the same. Yeah. I mean, they could be the new run, the jewels, right. Where it's just a thing. Um, sure. And I could, I could see um, him and premier, if premier approached it the way he's done with Royce and in, in, mm. in prime, like, I think yeah. the thing that, that for me, I, I can't see Nas going back to a traditional, you know, uh, heavy sample, um, kind of straightforward sample album. I think that he's kind of pushing new ground and Primo's definitely done that with Prime also in the way that they've constructed those albums. So I could see that. I think that would be dope. And the other thing I'd say about this album, this song is that there's a beat change at two minutes in um, that's just unreal. Like the drums become super heavy uh, there's horn jabs, and I found myself wishing that this was the primary beat. Um, you know, what did you think? Did you, did you like that beat change or no? I did. I did. I remember, shout out to the DJs on Whammo in Pittsburgh. I remember one time they took um, the the Jay-Z uh, Jigga, my brother with Swiss Beats from the Rough Riders compilation. Remember at the beginning of the beat, you know, Swizz, as he did so often, has a dun-dun-dun. And they made a remix live on air where they just let that beat be the song. And I still wish I had a tape in the cassette. Yeah. And this is one of those cases, too, where, you know, I wish if somebody out there does it, hit us in the comments, because I would like to hear that as well. Yeah, for sure. So um, one other thing of note, you know, you mentioned this coming out with, um, you know, the Black Panther 2 release date. This is also election season. And Nas has a really profound line, as he's done throughout his career. But he says, Jeepers Creepers 
America's a baby that's teething, shitting on itself, crying for its next feeding. As odd as it gets, it's not even a toddler yet. Gang members got nothing on these congressmen. So I, lo- I love that line. I mean, you know, uh, Parliament Funkadelic had that joint, America Eats Its Young. Nas, you know, takes a baby analogy, really, you know, metaphor works, works it out, and then makes the point that, you know, for all the condemnation that we put on things like gang members, um, what is happening, you know, in politics? And it arrives at a right time if you're listening to the headlines. Right. So you alluded to it. The next song is 30. Um you know, it's uh, it's modeled after Nas as a 30 for 30. You know, one thing I've always appreciated is he's somebody who sits down, watches TV, watches movies, will immediately kind of start his pen game. Um, the first verse is about being a heartbreaker, which is a major theme on his album. I mean, you know, Nas has been romantically linked to a few, you know, high profile women throughout his life and career. As a bachelor, he really seems to be enjoying that. And I look and I, I kind of add this overarching question of like, you know, other artists of that age are in many cases happily married and high profile. Like Nas is, is, is like the George Clooney. He can still be a bachelor real late in the game. And he seems to really embrace that throughout this record. Um, But I thought it was a really interesting album, the premiere line. And, you know, there's another, uh, I think set of bars that's worth talking about. So he says premiere album still might happen. I wonder why Pete Rock would act like that. That type of behavior makes me want to give rap right back. And now I can't tell if it's all good that I did being being hit with the agenda again, brother. I know y'all praying. I go back to nothing. We in the future, let's get past the front. First of all, amazing flip of the MC breed line. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's addressing some headlines from earlier this year where Pete Rock said that he wasn't properly compensated for his contributions to Illmatic. And it's interesting that Nas would address that here um, and kind of make a bigger point of don't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a, that was a heavy line and we still haven't gotten to the bottom of that. You know um, you know, first it was that it was Sony and uh, Columbia and the record label. But then I think that um, Sony mentioned supposedly said that they had actually paid the royalties to Nas. And so the, the roads didn't make their way to Pete Rock. I don't know. Um, you know, as, as our brother, Justin Hunt says, I don't know the answers to these questions. Um, you know, I, I do know that in production agreements, and I used to do a lot of actually DJ premieres producer agreements, um, a savvy lawyer uh, for the producer will have it so that the lawyer, the, the label pays the producer directly because uh, most of the time the contracts come standard where the the royalty is paid to the artist and the artist pays the the producer. And so, you know, no matter what, if you got a middle person, like it's always harder to get the check. So I don't know what the setup was or what the scenario was, but, you know, um, interesting to hear Nas. Uh, I think this is an instance where he had a lot of one-liners that said a lot of things, you know, so the primo joint, uh, the, the Pete Rock line, he also said, I'm done with star chicks. Um, I, I survived divorces. And, you know, for those who know Nas's, uh, you know, personal life through the, the 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 tabloids, you know, obviously he was married to Khalees and that was a tough divorce. He himself put that out there uh, in the Life is Good album, which was dedicated to that split. And it was not pretty by any stretch. But then also it could have been a reference to Nicki Minaj, who we had a very short but high profile relationship as well. 
Um, so yeah, this one spoke to me. Um, the other thing is that the beat was really regal, you know, and again, speaks to hit boy and crafting this kind of new sound, real heavy kind of trap drums. Uh, but like the horns were almost like, um, you know, almost like a sample. It was a really, really, really dope flip. Absolutely. So the next song is hood to hood. This is probably my second favorite beat on the whole album. You know, for me, it's reminiscent of Jay's ignorant shit, um, you know, um, which is, um, you know, a flip on the Ozzy Brothers between the sheets. Um, and, you know, this this has that same kind of feel to it. And, you know, some of the things that spoke to me about it is that, uh, you know, going back to the zeitgeist thing, we talked about how um, now artists and athletes are more focused on being compensated appropriately and seeing the value being paid to those who are generating the value more so than those who, who are, have benefited from it. Um, and on this one, he talks about, he says, ask why blacks, he asks why blacks can't be unified like other races and ethnic groups are. Um, this is something that's also come up a lot lately, um, you know, amidst some of the really an unfortunate anti-Semitic um, discussions um, has been lost. The notion that you don't have to like put down another group in order to be pro your own group. Um, and also being pro your group, your own group isn't being divisive either. Um, and one of the things that um, a lot of people have said is that other groups are able to unify, have each other's back, support, uplift each other. Um, but um Unfortunately, in a lot of instances, Black folks uh, don't do this. And Nas is another person speaking to this, which I found to be really interesting. You know, these things tend to happen kind of all at the same time, or maybe uh, one thing like raises your attention and you hear it more like a word, like cap or whatever it is. But I thought that was an interesting point that Nas made here. Yeah, I agree with you. He had a um, he had a line I really liked. He says, how did I become number one? I'm one of one, flying down the 101, right under the Cali sun. Junior Mafia out the subs, shorter, shorty calling me son. If one click make a million today, it's probably be us. Probably because my Midas touch for viral stuff. And I think that's interesting because I don't think Nas is referring to, you know, like viral moments on Twitter or IG. You know, he's not been a social media guru over the last 10 years, but instead as a business person, he's great at picking blue chips. I mean, he's great at, at picking things that scale from lift to pill pack to ring on down. Um, and I love it. It's just such a smooth flex. And, you know, again, the wordplay, even as, as, as my clunky ass reads it, that's cool. And then I also like, you know, the song um, is an homage in way to L Cool J's Big Old Butt. And Nas always will remind you um, that he's ahead. And this is just one of those cases. So anything you want to add about Hood to Hood? Uh, no, no, that's it. So repression, recession proof is interesting um, because, you know, you see that and it seems like a flex, you know, and I Nas isn't the first person to use that term. I've seen it other places in hip hop, but, you know, instead it's Nas just reminding us, um, you know, that he kind of is a survivor and we've, we've, We've seen that throughout, but um, this is a line as you talk about Nas's past and not dating stars anymore. He says, Nick's game up in the seats. I barely hit the floor. I'm not trying to sit across from somebody lady I hit before. <laughs> and, you know, that anyone um, with season tickets at MSG is close to the floor. is probably gonna be like, hmm, what? Um, but it's a it's a powerful line. And it um, it's just another one of those cases where Nas can sit as somebody who's breathing down the neck of 
potentially uh, billionaire status and time and still be super relatable. Yeah, you know, for for me, this song is just a reminder of why Nas is still relevant 30 years later and why people have found him be, to be so great. You know, he's just a fantastic storyteller. And for for me, one of the things that makes storytelling so great is the details. You know, it's the, it's the it's not even the beginning or the end. It's the little gems that you give that really paint a picture for people that make a story great. And he does this effortlessly. To do it in rhyme form is really amazing. And, and to your point about like the the Knicks line, there's all sorts of things like that in this song that that make it uh, really stand out for me. Absolutely. So next song is Reminisce. And, uh, you know, I know you have a special feeling about this. You know, I'll, I'll say a word to Mary Blige. This is another one where uh, Hit Boy took something familiar and made it new. You know, he he took Mary J. Blige's reminisce song and um, and I think it was the original and um, and flipped it. Um, it wasn't unrecognizable, and you got the sped up kind of like Chipmunk Soul version of Mary's vocals. Uh, but it definitely feels new and fresh, and it's a real cool um, you know tempo up tempo kind of song for Nas. You know. Um, one of the lines that spoke out to me was news is fake. Never knew I'd soon relate to Tom Brady going for seven in Tampa, which, um, you know, is just, it's, it's such a, it's, it's, it's so filled with things. But for me, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, is this not saying that he's going for his seventh classic, basically, you know, Tom went, got seven rings. So it's not saying he's got seven rings in terms of albums. And if so, what would those be? You know, for me, uh, and I know you're going to hate because I'm skipping your favorite Nas record, but um, for me, it's Illmatic, Godson, Stillmatic, Life is Good, and maybe the KD series. You know, um, I'll say I love um, um, I Am. It's one of my favorite um, Nas albums, too. I could put that in there. Um, you know, he's, he's got seven joints now. He's got seven joints. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll call them seven classics. But seven joints for sure. But um, do you think Nas is saying this? And if so, mm. uh, what what would the seven be for you? I like it. I mean, he could be. I don't think that. And the seven for me um, would be Illmatic. It was written, Godson, um, KD3. What am I at? Uh, Life is good. And then two more. Probably go Stillmatic and KD2. Um, and that's tough. And I... I I think Nas looks at his career better than that. I think he can admit the flops, i.e. Nostradamus. But I think he thinks he's got more than that. I looked at it as, you know, Tom Brady's style of football has played, has changed a lot season to season. And certainly when you look at who he is today to whom he was, you know, five years ago, five years before that. And I think that speaks exactly to what I'm saying about Nas. This is, this is somebody who's evolving. And I think on KD3, more than any of these other albums with hit boy he knows exactly who he is and i love it because it flows um it flows into a couple of lines on the song you know again um nas not doesn't only make great opening songs to albums he knows how to get that grabbing opening line but on this joint it is i didn't have to die so that they could call me the great one didn't take a couple albums people said it from day one and I love that. Again, that's a nudge to some of the tragedy that's been going on and, and perhaps how we, you know, throw flowers at the fallen within, you know, not just music, but certainly in, in music. And then also this is a reminder that 
this was somebody who put out a classic debut. You and I agree on that hands down, but also even before that, you know, from live at the barbecue with main source made the kind of record that could create, you know, a bidding war um, for him and have people anticipate an album for almost three years. And Nas is aware of that and he flexes it. And then later he opens the second verse with when you as high as me, you get highly critiqued, hop on a beat purpose, purposefully sounding like nine, three. Again, that spoke to what I speaks to what I said earlier. Nas has this ability where he can, channel his younger self with the benefit of the maturity and perspective that he has now and not the only artist in hip-hop to do that you do see that with jay-z you do see that with j cole you see that with um kendrick lamar you know black dot fonte royce the five nine on and on but i like that he says it here and that's the kind of line that really um makes this album something different for me yeah he's also very self-aware right like uh, a lot of artists of his um vintage stay in that lane and never depart from it you know and he's not saying that he's saying nah i'm gonna go back but listen this is me being purposeful i got new and fresh stuff too but right now i want to go back and be throwback um you know and at the end though he really kind of crystallizes that where he says i don't like to reminisce shout out to mary j blige uh y-o-q-b because what we're doing right now is really lit so that's interesting too, right? He's using present day um, slang to like really like emphasize that he is current. Those things were great, man. But today, what we're doing is next level, and that's just amazing to me. You know, um, you know, Nas truly seems like he's living his best life right now. He doesn't need to like um, like revel in the past because musically, personally, financially, he's winning uh, probably the best he's ever ever won in his life right now, and that's that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, very well said. Um, so Serious Interlude is not, it's one of the songs on this album that I really didn't like as much. It's very much Nas the Bachelor, but actually you spotted something in here that I didn't hear even on at this point, you know, upwards of four or five listens. You want to talk about it? Yeah, you know, this this might be a reach, but there, there are some things on here that make me think this might be Nas's metaphor for hip hop. You know, there's a line where it says her name was, oh, well, I don't kiss and tell. And throughout, he's talking about this really kind of back and forth relationship he has with um, a woman. You know, we've heard this many times. Common, Black Thought, uh, Cormega has done it, like lots of people. And it's always a kind of like a volatile relationship. It is not something that is peaceful and it's symbolic of the volatility within hip hop. And if you read it, like just with that lens, I think there's some things that start to speak to you. Um, but, you know, it could could be crazy. But, you know, also there's things like he starts it off with um, an a LL reference. You know, he says, Lady loves, ladies love cool Nas. And it's clear to me that LL is one of Nas's GOAT. You know, he's featured in the, the, um, the documentary about Supreme Team. You can see the reverence that Nas has for him in their conversation. Uh, they got the Queens connections. There's a lot of hip hop stuff going on in this that makes me think that it might be something deeper to it. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of overlap in their careers as guys who started in their teens, guys who, you know, are now, you know, running bigger companies all in the interest of preserving hip hop. I do believe both of those entities are working um, in step with the Universal Hip Hop Museum. So, yeah, that's a good spot because I've never seen Nas and LL this aligned 
um, thematically as they appear to be right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the next song is I'm on fire. Um, you know, this song for me was one of the ones that I found to be a little bit lackluster. You know, um, I'm not saying it was bad. Uh, for me, it was, you know, kind of average across the board. Not bad, but not great. Um, you know, it, it's one I wouldn't necessarily skip it every time, but I would probably skip it, a, you know, a fair amount. But But what was your take on it? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those spots in the album I agree with you. There's one thing I really like, though. You know, I came in without an ordinary name. How many Nasirs? How many top tier? How many not here? There's something in the name that's different from theirs. You know, I interview artists a lot, even just putting together press bios. And we often forget Nas is an artist who used his own name. Like, you know, he didn't come in as, you know, the dot, dot, dot. And there's a level of truth and honesty that comes with that. And I just like that flex of also Nas looking at you know his peers there's a lot of artists from 91 to 94 that made critical impact got incredibly uh you know critically acclaimed from the source at double xl and otherwise and are not here or are here in a very different kind of legacy level and it's just a nice kind of color pop to Nas's again sorry 21 savage ability to be relevant yeah yeah so, um, you know, WTF SMH. Ooh, when I saw this song, it had, when I saw it in, on the track list, I was like, I don't know. Um, but there's actually some depth to this record. And it's a, it's a bit of a concept. Um, within, you know, he addresses main source, you know, remind you of that's his pedigree. He has an interesting line here, um, just aimed at MC Search about how much is the catalog worth. And what's other thing that's interesting, just in terms of reframing history, I just mentioned live at the barbecue, he gives Akinelli credit. And, you know, Akinelli and Nas, um, you know, both being Queens guys, um, Akinelli from Lafrac City and Nas being, you know, Queensbridge, they came up together. You know, they were both uh, pupils of Large Professor. I believe they went on tour with Rob Swift. Um, and he kind of uses the line to remind you that Akinelli's who took him into the buildings. I know that MC Search was there when Nas ultimately signed with um, Columbia Sony. And got paid for it, but Nas is just kind of retelling the history because I know Search is somebody who's been out here and has said some things that have ruffled some feathers from different members of the community. Um, but I thought it was interesting, and he calls main sources launch pad. Um, other than that, I mean, is there anything you would like to add? Not really, man. You know, those are the the, the notable um, points lyrically for me. You know, this is another one where the beat was just okay for me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so this was kind of the low on the album for me. These 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 last two songs. Next uh, one's a big one though. But the next one though, like uh makes up for it. Like the next one is is top three on the album for me. It's once a man, twice a child. You know, we both kind of picked up on, you know, Nas he had his song Second Childhood uh, in 21 years ago. It was was that Godson? I can't remember which which album was. No, uh, I believe it was Stillmatic. Stillmatic, yeah. yeah. Um DJ Premier, one of my favorite Nas songs is ever. Um just really, really crazy. And you know, that song is about uh, people who are stuck, you know, who are who, who whose maturity has not fully developed and stuck living at home, stuck doing dumb things for their age, like um, they're in their second childhood. This song is about Nas getting older. You know, he's contemplating the cycle of life. Um, and it's a real interesting contrast to the end of Reminisce, where he's focused on being present because he's clearly looking ahead now. And while he doesn't want to look back, he's looking ahead with a little concern, you know, wondering like, you know, what's coming. Um, uh, but, you know, 
also like the ultimate message being enjoy the moment. So he says, live while you got the strength to health. You should tend to look all, all, uh, look, all of us ain't going to get old. I hope this message hits you. So he's saying, listen, like, um, live, be in the present, live well, uh, so that you can make it to the future, but the future is not guaranteed. Um, and so enjoy yourself too. And I think it's just a really, another like example of Nas and Jay did this with 444. I've always thought that Nas did the, had the blueprint to grown man rap with, uh, life is good, you know, um, you know, showing divorce, talking about fatherhood and custody and things like that. I think this is another one where, um, you know, getting close to his 50s, he's starting to really contemplate his mortality. And even before that, um, uh, a diminishment of vitality. And so uh, really cool to hear this uh, record like this from someone like Nas. Yeah, Nas drops the kind of wisdom, you know, I, I think, of you know, I never sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. And, um, you know, Nas has given us bars or, you know, I never brag how real I keep it because it's the best secret. Like he has this ability to create um, is aphorism the right word. Like he can create a line that gets stuck in your head and teaches you something. And he does it on this album, too. And it really on my first listen to the album, it really stuck to my ribs. You know, he says, we don't change as we get stuck in our ways. We just act like we agree so we can end the exchange. What's meant for you is sent to you, but you could be the problem. It's not always them, my dude. Was she crazy before you met her or did you make her crazy? And I just thought that's that's Nas at his best. Like, you know, I've heard, of course, what's meant for you is sent to you before. But just this fact of like people that don't want to have I, I know what's happened with you and me and you are a king debater. And there's times where I won't agree, but I'll kind of be like, all right. And I won't fight, you know, because I want to end the exchange, not because I dislike you, because we got other stuff to do. And I just thought it's such an insightful line. Um, And it's also funny because one of the things at my age, I noticed there's so many people out here that are always dating crazy partners. Oh, man, she's crazy. He's crazy. And Nas, in in the smoothest way, was just like, yo, you can make people crazy. You might be the problem. And I just think that that's, that's really interesting. Um, you know, and I'll, another another quick Nazism that I think is in the song is he says, in the streets, I had agility, was quick to strike. My fear's not seeing it coming, got too rich for that sight. So take advantage of your youth before you're elderly, because today is the youngest that you'll ever be. Again, that's not something that's a new idea, but Nas has this smooth way of putting in a song that allows you to seize the day every day and remind you that life is precious. And Nas also is vulnerable in it of saying that, like, I used to be quick to strike because I was in the mix. Now I'm so rich that the mix is out of my sight. Like, I'm not, my fear is not seeing it coming. And now I'm so rich that it's out of my sight. Like, I'm still potentially a target. I think that it's, um, I think that it's heavy duty. I will dispute greatly your characterization of me, but I'm going to let it slide. Just to As somebody who loves to debate? Just to emphasize the point. <laughs> All right, we'll keep it moving. I agree. <laughs> uh, you want to take the next song? Yeah. Um, Get Light is, is another one of those songs. And, and it's funny. Nas, I think, ran into the same problem with KD2. You know, for even though we really celebrated the merits of that album, Nas, one of his vulnerabilities, and I hope he has more work to, you know, steer the ship, is sometimes his filler can get in the same region of an album. Um, for me, this is a skip song. I know you really like the beat, right? 
Yeah, I like the beat a lot. And it sounds very large professor-esque to me, you know, uh, you know, especially like in his later work, like um, Stay and stuff like that. Like large professor really gravitates those horn stabs. Yeah. And, um, you know, this this is almost like Hip Boy kind of doing a nod to large professor for me. But yeah, the content is is not in the same level as, as the other songs for me either. Well, I'll take the next one since that was a quick interlude. Um, first time is another, you know, Nas, he did this again on KD2. Like he gets into this concept section and, and this is like the first time you heard. And I thought of you actually when I first heard the song because your question in these videos are on, um, you know, our channel is who is your first favorite rapper? And it kind of speaks to that of of referencing, you know, when did you become a fan, not just of me, but of all of this, and he mentions, you know, um, Biggie, Pac, Slick Rick, N.W.A., Cool G Rap, but it's just, you know, he says, first time you heard Nas, you probably heard somebody say that I pick bad beats, but I pick bad freaks. Narratives they running with, the classics they coming with, ain't effing with what I recorded last week. Which, you know, Jay had that line, "You want the old hove by my old album." This is Nas leaning right into the criticism. He's aware that people think, you know, he's not the greatest ear for production. Um, and he comes back with a kind of an ill comeback of I pick bad freaks and he stands by what he's making now. And even though Illmatic will forever be the immovable object of classic albums and Nas's discography for me, um, I love the fact that he is so convicted in his work now. And certainly there's growth and development here. Word. Yeah. You know, um, I got a lot of memorable firsts, but the one that really sticks out the most for me is actually somebody we mentioned uh, who Nas has been um, re referencing quite a bit on this album too is LL. You know, the first time I heard LL was in the movie Crush Group when he, uh, you know, auditioned and did radio and he just like was electric, man, just jumped off the screen. It was by far the most dynamic thing in the movie and I enjoyed the movie, but that was life changing for me. That was like a, Oh shit moment. Uh, but what about you? You have a, a first like that? Yeah. I mean, I talked a little bit about it when we lost, lost shock G in 2021, but I remember being at either a seventh or an eighth grade dance. And the song, you know, was a few years old at that point, but I remember hearing the Humpty dance, which is crazy that whatever DJ they hired at my school played that at a middle school dance. But that song was like, oh, my God, like I have been waiting to hear this music my entire life. I also remember um, exactly where I was in my hometown the first time I heard full clip by Gangstar. Hmm. And, and that, again, was a moment that changed my whole life. And what about Nas? I mean, for me and probably for you, too, the first time I heard Nas was live at the barbecue. And, you know, when he talked about snuffing like... Uh, Jesus. Jesus. It was like, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whoa. This guy is crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. No, I was uh I was seven years old when that dropped, so I can't front. Um, but I do remember uh hearing for me, I can't even claim halftime. For me, the first time I heard Nas was it ain't hard to tell. And again, Whammo, uh the radio station in my hometown of Pittsburgh, used to use that that the large professor, the the horns, the same ones you're alluding to, when they would play like the eight at eight, that was their theme music. So yeah, I'm 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 a I'm a it ain't hard to tell, baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh so the next song is Beef. You know, this is another uh convention that Nas has used before where he raps from the perspective of an object or a thing in order to illustrate a point. You know, he did that with I gave you power when he um, was rapping from the perspective of a gun. 
Um, and in this one, he's, he's beef. And, you know, he's talking about like the disagreements that have been the downfall of many men. You know, um, he talks about Biggie and Pac and he talks about gangs. He talks about a lot of people who are susceptible to beef. You know, it's, it's a cool song. Um, you know, not one that like really blew me away or anything like that, but, you know, um, interesting to hear. How about you? Yeah, I, um, I am not of the contingency that is still waiting for the unauthorized autobiography of KRS one. Like I, uh, I love, I gave you power and it's time concept songs from Nas are not my favorite. Like, and I don't include daughters as one. Like when Nas goes to new ground, I'm with it. I do think this, this song fits within the album. I think that it's a, it's a good list. I just listened today. Um, but it's not some that I'm going to sit here and break down. Like, you know, it's one of those songs, but it's an interesting contrast to the line that he had earlier that we talked about with Jay-Z of like two guys who had one of the craziest beefs in hip hop. I don't think, you know, they put hands on each other, but I'm, I believe there were definitely uh, tussles within their respective camps at moments. Um, and they're now laughing about it. There's still a rivalry, but they're both very successful men that can text each other and call back to that. And to have that contrast with Nas looking at what what beef is is doing in some pockets, um, I just think it's it's a meaningful thing. So yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. Or you want to take the next one? Yeah, I will. Um, don't shoot. You know, the thing that I took away from this song is Nas um, owns his contradictions on this joint. He says, "Cause all I see is mama's crying, reading eulogies, thinking about everything her baby could have grown to be." Speaking unity for years, but face scrutiny. He weird. One day Esco be rapping about shooting me. Next day he and I can, he be confusing me. And I think this is interesting. You know, Nas is of a class. I mean, he was a contemporary of Tupac's. Um, we will watch he's a contemporary. I mean, he's the next step, but I just mentioned him KRS one. Like, we've watched Dr. Dre. I don't smoke weed or cess into the chronic. We've watched a lot of hip hop legends evolve and change. And Nas went from, you know, I can to, you know, he not long after a really, you know, ugly beef with Jay-Z. And I think the fact that it's just interesting that Nas embraces that. Um, and the song kind of just looks at more than that. Anything you want to add? Nah, man, um, not not a ton. This one was not really, um, not, didn't really speak to me all that much. It, it was cool, um, but, you know, it was not one that, like, uh, stuck out for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 album, and it's not the last song, we're going to talk about that right now, but the album definitely um, starts stronger than it finishes, and I don't like that for the sake of this review because, you know, we are both gushing over this album in many ways, but at the same time, it it uh it comes in like a lion and goes out maybe like a bobcat. Well, actually, I would I would debate that. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it all depends on um, how you define the last song. You Word, know, because um, the last song could be "Don't Shoot," but then there's "Till My Last Breath," which is cited as a bonus song. Mm-hmm. which I don't understand even like the notion of a bonus song now that we don't have CDs and like, you know, if it's at the end of the playlist, it is what it is. Um, you know, we could argue that the heart part five is a bonus song on um, Mr. Brown, the big steppers. Um, but um, I wonder why it's a bonus song, both technically, but then also because I do believe it is one of the stronger songs in the album. And 
the opening line, you talked about opening lines earlier. The opening line here is I'm bigger than algorithms if if I'm being direct. Yeah. That's such an ill line, you know. Um, that speaks to so much we've talked about. Like he doesn't need to like um, you know, rely on Spotify algorithms or, you know, YouTube or whatever, because he's got his own fan base. He can go direct to fans, and that's exactly what he and Hip Boy did with this album. They went straight to, you know, social media, reached the fans directly and let the music do the talking. Like, so that's just crazy. He also said, I ain't commercialized. How can they stop me? Um, you know, for a guy who has been a super commercial artist on the radio and dominating like, you know, video airplane stuff like that, he's not that anymore, but he can't be stopped because he does have a legit fan base that will follow him through time anywhere. And it is very diverse, you know? So again, uh, 21 Savage, man. What are you, what are you talking about? Um, and then he's got this line, political correctness, hecklers are more respected than the one giving the message on stage. It's messed up. We can't say anything without offending. So now my mouth is in the jailhouse with cases pending. First Amendment, you replaced it, rigged it, dumbed it down is not an option. Dumbing it down is not an option. So that speaks to kind of the undercurrent we've been talking about throughout too. You know, um, Dave Chappelle was on um, Saturday Night Live and said something very similar on Saturday night um, where he said that his job is becoming tougher and tougher to do. And, um, you know, uh, he hopes that he doesn't get in trouble for the things that he's saying. And we see that across the board that art and artists are being attacked. Now, that's not to justify a lot of the crazy, reckless things that are being said. Uh, but there is this kind of feeling of a prevailing censorship that's coming and that uh, people aren't free to say what they want to say anymore, um, irrespective obviously hate speech and all those things, but just uh, having a different point of view. And, um, you know, I think Nas ending with a song like this, uh, which is embracing his power to be direct and not needing technology and those things, but also showing that he's scared that it's going to be limited because of attacks on free speech is a pretty powerful way to end. Yeah, I mean, I love the point that you make or the question you ask, why is this a bonus song? Because Till My Last Breath is a statement closing, not just in the title, but in what he has to say. And based on what you just said there, I wonder if there was any thought that he might pull this one back. Not that there's any reason to, um, but it's just interesting. And, and you know, Jay-Z was always so good at, at punctuating albums, bookending them with, you know, my first song on the Black album or the title track, Mama Loves Me, Blueprint, you know, um, from Blue, like, and Nas does that here. And even though I know I made my Bobcat Lion reference, <laughs> this is a strong way to um, end this album for sure. So, you know, with the time we have left, um, you recently decided, I think when we started this podcast, we were using the five mic system, but we've since changed to a 10 scale. Um, how would you, what would you give this album on a 10? Um it's tough, man. I think um, somewhere in the range of between an eight and a half and a nine, somewhere mm. around there. Uh, yeah, I think it's a really strong album, body of work. You know, the we did talk about the songs that we thought were just okay. I don't think there's a single song on here that's bad. Uh, I think there are several songs that are very good, and uh, the content is is really strong. Uh, I, th I think I probably be like somewhere between eight and a half and nine. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I like that. And I, I really want to, jokes aside or comments aside, I want to underscore that there's not a bad song on here at all. Um, so, you know, I will say uh, eight points. 
I'll go 8.3, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not quite as high as you. Um, and I can't remember what I gave uh, KD two. I don't believe it was that high at all, but like, I, this is, this is, I stand on it. This is the best of the four albums. And I think, you know, it's a special body work. All right. So then how would you rank the series? And let's go with the, just the KD series, not magic. <laughs> uh, shout out to what was it? Def squad three, two, one. Um, or is that LL? <laughs> uh, four, three, two, one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would go, I would go three, two, one. And I really like what you said earlier in the podcast of, you know, full circle might be my favorite song in the KD series. Um, you know, there have been, my favorite moment probably isn't on this album yet, but in terms of a body of work and a lean back, no skip experience, it's this. But what about you? Yeah, I'm in the exact same place. I'm going to go three, two, one. You know, um, uh, that is it for me. Uh, I will say the two is very close because the standouts are so strong for me. Um, I think his composure is another one. Uh, is with Hip Boy. Like, there's a lot of great, great, great songs on on um, on two, but as a full body of work, it's three, two, one for me also. Yeah, I mean, you know, it would be really ridiculous to speculate. I mean, here we are, just you know, a month into Grammy eligibility. Obviously, in that time, Drake and Twenty One Savage have released an album. I don't think that had anything to do with Twenty One's passing remark, but I think Nas has really leaned into what a Grammy's meant to him. You know, he he's spoken about it. Um, it's helped give him, I think, that thing that he was chasing, put it away. But I think that, you know, this album is absolutely Grammy worthy. I mean, if the first one won the award and we're saying that this is the best of the three, what's that tell you? And it's interesting, too, because this arrives. Uh, Magic did not get any recognition. It dropped in that weird lull of the year of, of late December, which I think oftentimes the uh, voting parties forget. But I don't think Nas is 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 done in his uh, his run with the trophies yep i don't think so either man i would not be surprised if he is the person who could defy the odds and and break out of that like slump of of people who release early in the year so yeah 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 so anything else you want to add on kd3 nah man i think uh i think this is a good breakdown um i'm going to continue to enjoy the album and um you know just salute to hip boy and nas for for doing this you know most definitely, yeah. Big shouts to both of them, and and I gotta ask you, man. So as we end, what's your what's your song of the week? I feel it's only appropriate to go with a KD song, KD three song. Uh, so I'm gonna go with Legit. Uh, it's the first one that really stood out to me. Um, you know, I think it's a great song. I will say that it's hard to not do, um, you know, once a man, twice a child, just because thematically, that's so ill. It says it says a lot more content wise than than Legit does, but. Uh, that beat is just undeniable for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I would go with a KD3 song, except for one thing. I just want to acknowledge a, a peer of Nas and somebody who also came up through the Stretch Armstrong and Barbito the Barber show, Tame One. Um, you know, rest in peace, Tame One. Rest in peace, Hurricane G. Um, in honor of Tame, I'm going to go with the Artifacts, Wrong Side of the Tracks, which came out in 94, same year as Elmatic. And uh, that's been, you know, as we've talked about, preserving life and celebrating life you know the losses continue to mount but um yeah definitely if you've never heard that anyone out there play that joint word for sure for sure well, well always we do it again man. man yeah for sure likewise all right likewise man. all right man peace